up? Welcome into episode four of Fantasy Football Today, DFS, about six months away from Valentine's Day. But we're here to talk about some players we love for this season, catch you up on some DFS and betting terminology, and talk a little preseason NFL DFS for week two, some news and notes, and we do have a showdown slate coming up on Thursday. Frank Stanfield joined, as always, by Mike McClure and Sia Najad. And Sia, you seem like a very loving person. Judging by how many players you threw on the rundown, <laughs> I would say, yeah, pretty pretty loving guy. Frank, you had me super nervous because you said Valentine's Day, and I was like, oh, did I forget something? I am like <laughs> in big, big trouble. So thanks for that scare. But yeah, there's a lot of players I love, but you know, it's early. We'll see what happens. Maybe I'll comb through some of these guys and, and decide I don't like them. But yeah, I, I got my eye on a lot of guys for sure. What's going on, Mike? Where are you headed this weekend? I know you got another vacation on tap. Yeah, I'm going to be heading to Austin, Texas uh, again this weekend. It's a place that I lived for a while, went back and forth a lot. So uh, I head down to Austin about once a month. So I'll be down there and uh, enjoying life in Austin this weekend. Much like NASCAR, which you brought up on the previous podcast, I have never been to Texas, but I have heard very good things about Austin in particular. So if you got any space open, I'm I'm here. I'm, I'm ready to go. We'll make that happen at some point. Maybe in October, you know, it's NFL season, obviously, but in October, there's a Formula One race in Austin, Texas. That could be an interesting little meetup on a Friday afternoon. <laughs> on a Friday afternoon. Yeah, let's make it happen. All right. Let's talk about some players we love for this season. Let's talk about just one. The player you love most. If you can narrow it down, maybe you can't. See ya. Who you got? I'm cheating right off the bat because I, I don't think I can narrow. There, there's two guys that came to mind, Frank, when you asked me that question. So the, the first one is Tyler Lockett. And part of the reason it's Tyler Lockett is because I think that all the talk right now when it comes to Seattle is about DK Metcalf. And rightfully so. DK Metcalf is an emerging superstar, in my opinion. But I think we're kind of forgetting about about Tyler Lockett. And I think we need to appreciate the value, especially in DFS or in year-long leagues. But in DFS, you know, for week one, for example... DK Metcalf is 7,500 and Tyler Lockett is 6,700. And yet, I mean, let, let's just go over Tyler Lockett's stats real quick. 100 catches on 132 attempts, which doesn't sound like a great ca catch rate. But if you actually look at the true catch rate, which which basically excludes balls that are uncatchable, it's a 93.5% catch rate for one, which, by the way, is about 10% higher than DK Metcalf. He had let's see, 10 touchdowns, which is exactly what DK Metcalf had. DK Metcalf had more yards, but he didn't, he only, he had 17 less reception. So, and then in terms of target share and red zone target share, they were tied at 19% with red zone target share and 24% with overall target share. So I think you're kind of getting a deal when it comes to Tyler Lockett. And I think that deal will last pretty much the entire season because I think DK Metcalf will always be that guy. But is, is he that much better than Tyler Lockett when the, when the stats are borne out? I don't think so. Yeah, and I think it's a good point that you bring up specifically for DFS and season long because you get Tyler Lockett consistently at a discount compared to DK Metcalf. And, you know, we see this often with really good quarterbacks. They don't just zone in on one pass catcher. And we saw that, you know, for years. Matthew Stafford would do that with Calvin Johnson, Megatron. And then once he left... Stafford actually became better. He became more efficient because he would spread the ball around a little bit and he wouldn't just zone in on one guy. Russell Wilson is a really, really good quarterback and a really smart quarterback. So I think he's going to take what defenses give to him more often than not. DK Metcalf is a freak. There's no doubt about that. But we remember the upside that Tyler Lockett had last season. Three different games on DraftKings with over 30 fantasy points, which if you played him back in week seven last year, 56 fantasy points. Are you kidding me? 15 receptions, 200 yards, three touchdowns. 
Just massive upside on a week-to-week basis for Tyler Lockett. The floor might be a little bit lower. Mike, who's a player that you love? We'll get back to you, I know you have another one. <laughs> I want to start by saying I am in total agreement there. A little biased as Tyler Lockett and I both went to Kansas State University. Uh, so we have a little bit of uh, common ground there. But I definitely agree. And I will say, if you're someone that's willing to play him week after week, you saw the big game last year. That's definitely going to happen again at some point this season. Uh, for me, though, the breakout, and the guy that I want to target the most is going to be Joe Burrow, honestly. The price point's just simply too low. If you look at what he did before the injury, look at last season. He had five 300-yard games in the first eight weeks, which led the NFL up to that point in the season. He's got ridiculous weapons, but he's got a defense that's still not great. They're going to be in competitive games at times and then trailing in a lot of games. That's going to give him a lot of opportunity to go out there. I think they're going to cut him loose, especially with all three of those receivers. Mixon's finally healthy. I think it's just an absolutely great spot for Joe Burrow. You look at the price point in week one, you look at that price point, it's going to take at least six weeks for it to elevate to the spot that it should be in my opinion. So I I love Joe Burrow here. I'm going to be playing him early and often. And the reason why I think you should be targeting him early is because his wide receivers, because they are so young, they're going to be undervalued with him at the same time. It's going to be really affordable to play that stack. And you're going to be able to load your lineup up with studs around it for the, like I said, probably the first six weeks of the season, but really weeks one through three. Yeah, and you're getting Burrow at a discount. You mentioned 5700 in week one for multiple reasons. Obviously, he's coming off that devastating knee injury, but he's also someone who doesn't run very much. So, you know, we see a lot of those rushing quarterbacks uh, have their sal- their salary elevated, and rightfully so, because they just have massive upside. But uh, because of that reason, Joe Burrow is a little bit cheaper. Two follow-up questions there for you, Mike, on Burrow. How worried are you about the offensive line? We know that they could have taken someone like Panay Sewell in the draft and they opt for Jamar Chase. They could have uh, obviously upgraded the offensive line that way. They drafted a few guys a little bit later on. How worried are you about the offensive line? And if you do have one pass catcher that you gravitate towards more than another, who is that pass catcher? Yeah, I think they're obviously that's the the real question there is the health of the offensive line and how good they're going to be. I think they've upgraded it just a little bit. I think that there's going to be a lot of positive energy coming around with Burrow going to be healthy. He's going to have the three receivers. So early in the season, I think there's an opportunity for them to kind of get off on the right foot and play well together. Uh, It also is going to help having a healthy running back. Hopefully we get 17 weeks of that that can really take some of the pressure off there. Uh, as far as wide receiver, I, I love Chase. Uh, I think that he's going to be someone who's going to come in and break out. We, I mean, we know Higgins is going to get some of the volume as well. If I had to pick one, especially if we're talking DFS, uh, I like the price point on Chase. I like that uh, handcuff there a lot uh, in the first few weeks of the season. Yeah, and they have that familiarity as well because they both played at LSU together, both Joe Burrow and Jamar Chase. See ya. I know you got another name that you want to give us. Who is it? Well, I keep banging this drum. This is probably the third show in a row I've mentioned this guy's name. It's Raheem Mostert. Uh, and I, I especially think in, in DFS, he's really a guy to lock in on. If you recall, maybe a week or so ago, I talked about Raheem Mostert, maybe in week one against Detroit at 5,800 and maybe stacking him with the most expensive defense, which of course is his San Francisco 49ers. I just think the Trey Sermon hype train is a, is a little much here. And I think no matter how many carries Trey Sermon is going to get, He's not going to get nearly as many as Raheem Mostert, in my opinion. By the way, this is a team that has already articulated the fact that they want to rush this ball about 500 times. So consider that, that Raheem Mostert is going to get the lion's share, that Jeff Wilson doesn't come back until midseason. But also consider this team is a lot more healthy last year or this year than they were last year. First of all, the receivers 
So they had Brandon Ayuk healthy for the majority of the year, but Debo only played half the year. George Kittle only played half the year. So I really think you're going to have to respect the receivers. It's going to give Raheem Mostert even more room to actually run the ball. Uh, he, he didn't catch that much last year, Raheem. I think he had 19 targets, 16 catches, but that was over only eight games. So if Raheem Mostert is getting the lion's share through at least seven or eight games, and if he's getting some of those goal line carries that Jeff Wilson was getting, then I think it's kind of a, a layup here that Raheem Mostert is getting very undervalued. And I think he could really smash for your DFS teams, especially in the first half of the year. And I think he's going to be a perfect contrarian GPP play because you mentioned he doesn't really catch, catch passes all that much. So that's probably going to keep his, his ownership down. And on top of that, he's explosive. So he can take one to the house from anywhere at any point. Mm-hmm. I mean, throughout his career, he's he only has 282 total carries, but 5.6 yards per attempt, and we've seen him make those big plays in the past. 49ers defense is healthier. Their offensive line is ranked top 10 by pro football focus, so I like that. It's contrarian. A lot of people are on Trey Sermon. They're almost pushing Raheem Mostert to the side, but I think we could see uh, some big games at low ownership for Raheem Mostert. For me, and I think a lot of people love this guy, but it's Jalen Hurts. Over the final four games last year, he averaged 26.5 DraftKings point. DraftKings points per game, and he had at least 69 rushing yards or a rushing touchdown in each of those games. And by all accounts, I think that this Eagles team and their pass catchers are much improved. Jalen Rager, we are hearing a lot of things in camp right now that he's performing well. We see the one-handed catches everyone's getting excited about in training camp. They added Heisman Trophy winner, Devontae Smith, someone who I'm also very, very excited about. He returned to practice this week. He was dealing with an injury. And they still have... Say what you want about him. Two good to very good pass-catching tight ends in Zach Ertz and Dallas Goddard. Everybody just assumed going into the offseason that Zach Ertz would be traded away. I even thought so myself. He's still on the team. Those guys can make plays, and they're weapons for Jalen Hurts. Uh, And I also want to point out that the offensive line is healthy. They were really, really banged up last year. The upside is massive for Hurts. He runs a lot. He's the ninth highest priced quarterback in week one. He's going up against the Falcons. I think he's going to be a very popular play. Their defense, in my opinion, is still uh, below average. So Jalen Hurts, I think we're going to see a lot of him this season for DFS. In season long, a little bit more downside because he still needs to improve as a passer. The accuracy is, I would say, questionable at this point for Jalen Hurts. Talk about them trading for Deshaun Watson. And their head coach, New play caller is Nick Sirianni, who has exclusively worked with statue quarterbacks, most notably uh, Philip Rivers in his time with Indianapolis the past couple of years, and then with uh, the San Diego Chargers, even before that, before they were in uh, Los Angeles. So a uh, few reasons there, some some good, some bad Jalen Hurts. You guys going to be in on, on Jalen Hurts this year? I will be in some capacity for sure. Yeah. I mean, there's definitely, the upside is immense. There's simply too much upside to not have them in your portfolio on a week-to-week basis, uh, especially if you're playing a lot of lineups in DFS. But yeah, I, I think that, uh, you know, I'll, you got to have them. You know, it's obviously always price dependent. We'll see what the salaries look like from week to week. But the, the upside, you can't deny it. The floor is incredibly high. As you mentioned, what, 68 yards or a rushing touchdown it means you're getting probably a floor of, what basically eight points from just running already. Uh, I mean, it's, yeah, it's incredible. So definitely someone that'll be on the radar every single week without a doubt. All right. So yeah, those, I, I like the upside too. I think it's a great call. Yeah. And those are some guys that we like heading into the season. Are there any players that you guys love because they've helped you win some large sums of money in the past? I'll st- I'll start there. I mean, the, the name that comes to mind for me just right off the bat, if we're just going to keep it to one is Kyler Murray. 
uh, especially at the front end of the season last year. I mean, he, I actually, I think I referenced this a couple shows ago, but um, I, I placed second in, in a pretty big single entry tournament. And it was, it was really, a, a lot of it was a product of his final throw to DeAndre Hopkins. That was kind of that, that um, pseudo Hail Mary that he threw uh, to beat the Bills. But that whole game, I mean, you know, Kyler Murray's the type of guy that can run and he's the type of guy that can sling it downfield. They don't have a very good defense, so they generally are having to pass the ball. So I, I loved Kyler Murray last year, and he, and he definitely won me a lot of money. And I, frankly, I expect him to rebound from the shoulder injury and to win me a lot of money this year, too. Mike, your dog is named Chief. You are a Chiefs fan, and I have a feeling there is a Chiefs player that has won you a lot of money. Yeah, I mean, it's Tyreek Hill. I think he's won a lot of people a lot of money at times. Uh, it's probably cost you a lot of money if you didn't have him in certain weeks, but it's same theme, right? We talked about it with some of our breakout candidates. See us talking about it with Kyler Murray. It's just guys that have ultra high ceilings. Electric players can get it done. Uh, Tyreek's that guy. So I want to give one other one, though, because we're, I want to go back to the love because I actually did throw a second one on there after I saw Sia throwing a second one in. And for me, that's going to be Jerry Judy. Uh, I love Jerry Judy this year for the Denver Broncos. I think it's an excellent breakout spot for him. If you look, he had, I believe, like 112, 113 targets last year, which is pretty high for a rookie in that spot. There was a couple of games where he had 14 targets and 15 targets. I think with a lot more healthy situation at the quarterback position there, in that division, they're going to see a ton of competitive games. You got the Chiefs, you've got the Chargers. That game, those games with the uh, the Raiders, could be very, very competitive with this Denver team as well. I love that for Jerry Judy. We're talking competitive games. Games are going to be trailing against offenses that put up a ton of points. I think there's going to be a ton of opportunity for him. And kind of like Tyler Lockett, kind of like some of these other guys we're mentioning, I think there's definitely going to be the two or three touchdown game or two for Jerry Judy this year. I think he's going to get in space. He's just absolutely electric. I want to say his salary in week one is only $4,800 on DraftKings. Uh, I routinely think I think it will routinely be a sixty-three to sixty-six hundred dollar wide receiver, uh, probably by week four or five of the season. Can I just throw something in there too? I, I absolutely love Jerry Judy. I think he's so good off the line. I think he's such a talented route runner. I think he's an emerging. I mean, I think Mike agrees. He's definitely going to be a superstar in this league if he stays healthy, which is a qualifier you put on any athlete in any sport, especially football. But with that said. 113 targets is great. One thing to watch out for, if you actually look at how many catches he has, it's only 52, but be careful when you evaluate it like that because that's a lot of Drew Locke. If, if you actually look at his true catch rate, it's actually 73%, which still isn't amazing by any stretch, but it's much better than what you think it might be if you look at 52 on 113. So you, you, you got to kind of measure that too. This is not a guy that doesn't that can't catch the ball. Yeah, he's going to have drops here and there, but if you combine what we think he the, the volume we think he's going to get this coming year with just how good this offense should be. Uh, I mean, I, I love Jared Judy. Love it. Yeah, he's a freak too. I mean, you mentioned the route running. I've seen some quotes from his teammates saying, this guy doesn't have ACLs. Like some of the moves that he makes <laughs> and the, his ability to cut is just completely ridiculous. So it's just a matter of the Broncos quarterbacks getting the ball in Jerry Judy's hand. But uh, if they can do that, we could see some big things this season for Jerry Judy. All right, we're going to pause there from the players that we love. I do have a few more that I want to talk about a little bit later on in the podcast, but I just want to give you a heads up that for next week's pods, they'll be on Wednesday and Thursday instead of Tuesday and Thursday. So just keep that in mind if you're 
looking for one of our podcasts on Tuesday. It won't be there. It'll, it'll be there Wednesday, though. All right, let's talk a little DFS terminology. These are things that we're going to say and bring up a lot throughout the course of the NFL season. And, you know, for some people that are just coming in or you know, people that play, they might think that they know what it means, but maybe they don't. So let's talk about some of those things. Cash game, we did a whole podcast on this. Typically, it's a contest where you look to double your money and about half the field gets paid out. 50-50s, double-ups, head-to-heads, less risk, less reward. Mike, I do remember you added another contest in there that you said you consider a cash game that you have been very profitable with. What was it again? That would be playing three-man leagues. So okay. it's very similar to the head-to-head, but you can go to the lobbies and sort by that. They'll have three and five. I think they have up to like 20-man leagues as well, but uh, the three-man leagues would really be my favorites. And the reason for that, again, quickly, is just you typically are going to be competing against a professional player who's already going to be sitting in the game in the lobby. And other professional players are likely to shy away from that match. So therefore, I can go ahead and try and play that pro player. And it significantly drops my win rate needed because it's unlikely that a third high volume player is going to join that game. So just a way to be competitive in those games, drop the win rate needed and become more profitable than if you were playing that person head to head. Next up, we have chalk. Those are players or games that are projected to be highly owned in DFS. Some might consider chalk plays, quote, must plays in cash games. Uh, Sia, when and where to use chalk or, as we will say a lot, eat the chalk this season? Yeah, I mean, obviously, you're going to be more prone to playing chalk in cash games than you are in GPPs. Because obviously, we, you know, we talked about this. We dedicated a, a couple episodes to this. But the reality is the the chalk you know, you, you got to be different in the GPP. So you don't want to play all the chalk. However, even in the cash games, there's such thing as good chalk and bad chalk. And, and it's really up to you or people like us to kind of evaluate that. So I know for, for um, some of the golf podcasts I do, I do a whole segment where I do, you know, good chalk and bad chalk. Maybe that's something we want to do here um, later on in the season. But, but the point is, not all chalk is good chalk. So you, you obviously have to be aware of that. But yeah, in terms of eating the chalk, you're going to be more, more prone to doing that in the cash formats. You can also do it in the GPPs. You don't have to get super cute and take zero chalky guys, but you just want to be careful. Uh, we talked about uh, overall ownership percentages, you know, maybe between 120 and 150. You don't want to you don't want to exceed that because then your lineup's not very different. And when your guy scores, you're not really making a mark on the field because so many other guys have that chalky guy. Speaking of bad chalk, I can't even remember the guy's name last year, but when Todd Gurley was out, Atlanta Falcons running back, I, he was like sub 5K. I don't, if you guys remember his name, please help me out. But was it Edo Smith? Uh, it it might have been. There were weeks where he was sub 5K and, and I thought he was going to be the starter. I think a lot of people thought he was going to be. And that is just bad chalk, right? Like the Falcons are not a great rushing team. Uh, they weren't really using their their running backs as pass catchers out of the backfield. Todd Gurley wasn't good. So why would we look to Todd Gurley's backup when he's out? And that could be an example of bad chalk. We'll talk about that a lot later on in the season. If you haven't realized by now, we're going in alphabetical order. So next up, we have contrarian, which is a player or idea that goes against what the public is thinking a player that might be overlooked with lower ownership. Mike, how low does the ownership need to be to be considered contrarian? Uh, in a sport like NFL, I would say under under 10% for sure. You can even say under 15% in certain spots. Uh, just kind of depends on the overall depth at each position that week. 
Um, the guy you were looking for last year, by the way, is Brian Hill. Brian I Hill. Unfortunately, had there the, it is. I had the misfortune of playing Brian Hill and eating the chalk that uh, did not work week after week. Brian Hill, thank you. Yes, that was <laughs> that was the gentleman that lost me a bunch of money last year. Uh, we have exposure. How much you are using a player on a given slate? Say you make 100 lineups with Kyler Murray in 30 of them. That's 30% exposure. And how much exposure do you you have to a player will likely be driven by overall projections and perceived ownership? Right, Sia? Yeah, that's right. And frankly, if if you end up being in a GPP and you have a guy that is, you know, quote, chalky, you know, one thing you can do there, well, of course, you can fade him if you want to. But if you really believe in the player, you can also go overweight with him. So if he's if Kyler Murray, for example, which is, you know, a guy I've mentioned a couple times this show and, and who will be mentioned a couple times, you know, when we're talking about week one DFS because of the game he's in with the Tennessee Titans. But if he's super chalky, let's say, and he's, you know, 28 percent or whatever owned, then you can always go overweight. To, you know, versus the field and, and own them in, you know, 60% of your contests and just, you know, make sure you just out leverage the field in that way. Yeah. And over underweight, by the way, you've heard Mike and Sia mention these terms quite a bit already. But if we see perceived ownership for Kyler Murray again at whatever, 30% coming into the week, that's what's expected of him. You have 40% of him in your lineups. You're obviously overweight on Kyler. If you go 20%, you're obviously underweight in that regard. A fade is a player or a game that you're avoiding for whatever reason. It could be a matchup, weather, gut feel. Seems pretty straightforward. Free roll, a tournament from a DFS provider that is free. The odds are stacked against you in cashing in this contest, but it's free. And that's called a free roll. GPP and tournaments, we did a whole podcast dedicated to this as well, literally means guaranteed prize pool. uh, And... 15 to 20% of the field typically gets paid out here. The higher you finish in the standings, the better the payout is. Unlike cash games, this is where you might want to try some things in order to differentiate yourself from others. I started that podcast saying, let's get weird, because sometimes that's what you need to do when it comes to Mm -hmm. GPPs and tournaments. Late swap. This is a feature that we haven't really talked about much yet, and I'm going to have an entire segment in the coming weeks talking about late swap and and how we can uh, use this to our advantage. But this is a feature where you can switch out players from your lineup up until their game starts. So say half your lineup starts at 1 p.m. Eastern time on a given Sunday. The other half of your lineup starts at 4 p.m. Eastern time. You can, even after the 1 p.m. game start, you can take those players from the 4 p.m. games out of your lineup and maybe swap them to different players that are playing in different games at the start of those games. So the, the later slate. So uh, we have a podcast coming up, which I mentioned, we'll talk about that more in depth, but Mike, how can you use a shorter definition? How can you use late swap to your advantage? So there are a couple different ways. One I'll talk about second, where well, I mentioned it last week, but the most obvious way you can use it here is going to be, say you have a lineup where you have a little more of the contrarian plays playing in the first game and they start to do really well, or your value plays do really well, and you had contrarian players throughout your lineup for the entire day, once a few of your contrarian players have started to do really well, you can then start to kind of pivot back on to some of the more popular, more chalky plays that have a higher probability of succeeding and kind of ignore some of that leverage that you have on the field because the rest of the field is obviously not already capitalizing on that. So you can really kind of lock in that higher floor. Again, depends on your style of play and, and what your goals are. Uh, other things you can do is obviously wait out on injury situations. Um, 
So have multiple players in a later game. We don't have the inactives report yet, uh, but a wide receiver one might be questionable or wide receiver two might be questionable. You can strategically build your lineups from the beginning based on that, and then you can make swaps um, and, and get some different roster construction that the average person won't have because they're not willing to take that risk, not willing to make those decisions. Now, the second thing that I want to teach people that you can do, last time we talked about you can enter the same contest multiple times. So a lot of people come to me and they're like, there's this $3 contest and then there's a $20 contest. And I really wish there was something in between, right? So that's why I tell them, okay, just enter the $3 contest with the same lineup three times. Now you have a $9 contest. You've created your own $9 contest. When you do that, because you've duplicated your lineup three times, now you leave it open to make a late swap on only one position if you want to later in the game. So if you have lineup, your lineup's doing really well. You have that lineup in two to three times. You can then kind of diversify a little bit on that last spot and really take a shot. You can make a more contrarian play with one of those and, and really try to climb the leaderboard without sacrificing the entire lineup. So that's one thing that I like to do a lot personally. And that's what I like to teach a lot of people to do, especially if there's someone that's looking to kind of in that middle ground on the stakes. MME stands for Mass Multi-Entry. These are large field contests where you can play up to 150 different lineups in a given slate. Overlay. This is the result of a GPP not completely filling. So basically, they're paying out more money than they're taking in. Sia, how do you find this? How does one find Overlay? Well, usually you can kind of predict it if if you're, you know, some time away from when the tournament's going to start and you can tell that, that just the tournament's not filling up, yep. then obviously, you know, you, you can go ahead and enter those contests and you're probably, you know, getting a better return because the, the fact is it's a guaranteed prize pool and only, let's say, 94% of the entries actually, you know, got in. So that that's going to be like a 6% overlay essentially so yeah I, you, I mean unless mike has a better answer you kind of have to just look for it and if you're looking at the contest you know an hour before or half an hour before you can kind of see hey this is probably not going to fill up let me let me enter a couple here is there a better answer mike i mean there's a funny answer it's not the better <laughs> answer i mean the best answer is to get in a time machine and go back to like 2014 <laughs> and 15 when there was overlay regularly on every site uh, as they they tried to raise money and attract players uh, but other than that, there there are tools out there that exist that will calculate it for you and kind of show you in real time so you're not having to calculate it. I think that the biggest thing with overlay also to consider is a contest cannot fill and it there's still not necessarily overlay. It's just dropping the rake just a little bit uh, just because the, the rake, the fees are that will probably, I think that's on your list here too, uh, will probably be too high to the point where it has to like really not fill. So there'll be oftentimes you'll see somewhere you can find reduced rake, which is still great. Uh, but the, the actual overlay is going to be really, really, really tough uh, to find. I think that when you'll find it is not in primary contests, right? So they'll put the massive millionaire maker out there or whatever it may be. You're very unlikely to find it there. Where you are likely to find it is when they post the second or third version of that in the remaining hour or so before lock. And that is the one that may not fill. Um, so that's something you'll look out for. Uh, week one stuff could have, if there's ever going to be overlay, it'll be week one when they shoot for the stars on the contest sizing. But generally speaking on a like a week to week basis, it's going to be, last 15 to 20 minutes uh, before the contest locks. Rake, by the way, that is the amount of commission a DFS site takes. 
off each entry fee, and that's how they make their money. So what, is there an industry standard on rake? Not really anymore. Uh, it's obviously continuing to rise. It used to be around a standard 10%, basically. It's uh, as high as 15 16% on some of the tournaments. The cash games are going to have lower rake. Um, that's one thing that we'll, we'll talk about later in the season, too. There are certain double-ups versus cash games. Some of them will have, um, I believe... 11% versus 9% rake, uh, which is something you want to pay attention to. It also, I always get this question a lot and we, we could devote a half a segment to it someday. Um, do I want to play one $109 game? Do I want to play four different $25 games? And the answer to that for me is going to most likely depend on the rake, but it can depend on, do you want any differentiation in your opponent? Have you noticed trends as far as your win rates? at certain levels uh, but there are different rake drops as the stakes increase so i believe all the way up to like 535 dollars entries we're still getting like seven percent rake i believe at this point and it goes on up even higher you can drop the rake down to four or five percent but uh at the lowest levels it's going to be at least eleven percent Ownership, this is pretty straightforward. It's how much a player is rostered in a given DFS contest. Once the contest starts, you can go in and it will show the ownership percentage next to that player's name. So you'll find out how many uh, teams or lineups rather within that contest have that player on their roster. Perceived ownership, something else that we've talked quite a bit about to this point. It's the act of trying to predict how rostered certain players will be on a given slate. And see, where are some places that you can find perceived ownership for NFL well, DFS? Yeah, I mean, there's plenty of websites that do that. I mean, I believe, Mike, correct me if I'm wrong, Sportsline has perceived ownership as well? There will be some this year, yes. Okay. Um, and, and by the way, I mean, you can also kind of ballpark what what it's going to be right when pricing comes out. And I don't mean as an exact figure, but I mean, you can kind of tell where a lot of the people are going. And we'll, we'll be dealing with that on the show. So I know we're going to do during the regular season, you know, two shows per week, Tuesday and Thursday. And I think Tuesday, obviously, it'll be hard to determine ownership as an exact science, because it'll be too early. Like lineups aren't really being submitted at that point, or if they are, there's not enough. But I mean, our group will be able to kind of, uh, you know, eyeball some of these games and say, hey, listen, you know, that, you know, Ryan Tannehill is going to be really popular this week because such as like, it, it'll be kind of easy to tell where it's going to gravitate toward. But yeah, there are plenty of websites that, that, have perceived ownership that the problem is some of the websites are better than others. And so you, you kind of have to be a little careful with that. But honestly, if, if Sportsline is doing that to any degree, I think that's probably going to be the most reliable source. Yeah. And I'm sure that's uh, what we'll reference quite a bit this upcoming season. A pivot is the act of switching from one player to another for whatever reason you wake up on a Sunday morning and the Browns and Chiefs game has 30 mile per hour winds and rain. You might want to pivot off of Patrick Mahomes to a different quarterback. Single entry, a specific contest where you can only enter one lineup in multi-entry contest. You can try different things out. And uh, Mike, remind us how your strategy might change for single entry versus multi-entry. I think a lot of it is just dependent on what your goals are, right? That's something we've talked about a little bit here. Yeah, it's definitely going to depend on what your goals are. Uh, what I like about single entries is it's tip the field is typically entering a cash game type lineup. They're typically taking a lineup they're building from an optimizer and kind of throwing it in there, um, which is great because we have a much better idea of what the ownership's going to look like there. They're going to the chalk plays are going to be even more popular in that versus a mass multi entry tournament. So we can really pinpoint and make a few different leverage plays. We can make 
plays where we're taking more risk. Uh, sometimes at the quarterback position with the stack of one of their receivers, sometimes at the running back position with the defense at times. Um, but it, it's one of those where I, I like to get a little different uh, because it really only takes one player that uh, you can really get enough differentiation to move ahead of a significant portion of lineups in a single entry contest. Stacking is the act of playing multiple players on the same team. So you have a quarterback throwing to a wide receiver or multiple wide receivers or even a tight end. However, you can also create a stack when you use a running back with his team's defense. If you expect something that Sia has mentioned a lot, that the 49ers are going to smoke the Detroit Lions in week one and Raheem Mostert is going to be a big part of that, then you play Raheem Mostert and the defense you think will have pretty good opportunity going up against the Detroit Lions there. Sia, what is a bring back when we refer to that uh, in terms of stacking? Yeah, I mean, you're essentially, you're stacking one side of the ball or one team, but you do want to bring it back with maybe one or two guys, depending on how much you believe in the game. Let's let's take Joe Burrow, for example, because, you know, Mike talked about him. His price is right. So it's it's only 5.7K on DraftKings. Maybe you want to pair him with Jamar Chase. Maybe you want to pair him with Jamar Chase and T. Higgins and just fade Joe Mixon, for example. Then... You have plenty of guys to bring it back with, but you again, this kind of goes to game script. Do you think it's just going to be a Dalvin day? Probably against the Cincinnati defense, but you could actually bring it back with Dalvin if you believe in that. And maybe you fade Justin Jefferson and Adam Thielen for whatever reason. Maybe that's what you're thinking, and you bring you bring it back again with Irv Smith. Maybe you think he's going to suck up the touchdown somehow with Dalvin Cook and that the, there's going to be pedestrian games for Justin Jefferson, who is nursing an AC joint sprain, but shouldn't be an issue week one. And Adam Thielen, who is you know starting to kind of be at the... Um, you know, the back end of his career. So that that's sort of you you want to you you want to correlate your lineups, you, you want or your stacks, you, you want to make sure you have shares that, you know, if the game reaches the 48 over under that like both teams are scoring. So you want to get each side of that. Last but not least, when you hear the term tilt or tilting, you're going to hear this a lot, by the way, that is the disappointment you feel when things go poorly. And again, it's it's going to happen a lot during the NFL DFS season. Let's take a quick break. When we return, we'll take a look at some betting terminology, a few more players we love, and NFL DFS preseason week two next on Fantasy Football Today DFS. Robert Half Research indicates nine out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. Let's look at some betting terminology, and these are all things that we might take for granted because we talk about it quite a bit, but a point spread in a game is uh, the... It's a handicap that requires the favored team to win the game by an ascribed number of points in order for the better to win a wager on that team. I actually stole that exact definition from Sportsline, so thank you. Uh, but New England minus six and a half. That means if you bet on the Patriots, you need them to win by seven points or more. If you bet on the Cowboys, who are going to be plus six and a half, you need them to lose by six points or less or even win the game. So is there anything else on point spread? Did I, did I do that right? Well, 
Well, Frank, you did, but but just just so we kind of like take this out to practical terms, one thing we're going to be looking at is it well, first of all, the point spread is instructive in terms of how you how Vegas or the sports books think the game is going to go. So obviously if it's a 10 point spread, you know, you're probably looking at a different game script than if it's a three point spread. But I think more importantly, when we're evaluating the actual fantasy value of teams and players is the implied totals, which the point spread basically gives us. You literally just have to do the math. If it's 51 and a half in the Arizona Tennessee game week one, and it's a three and a half point spread, you just kind of do the math and you realize, okay, it's it, the implied total for Arizona is 24 and the implied total for Tennessee is 27.5. Those implied totals are really instructive in terms of where you think this team is going to go from a fantasy standpoint. So the point spread is sort of like, like the top, but then you just kind of filter that down to the implied point totals and that gives you a lot more instruction as to hey is this a game i want to target yeah and that's the crossover between betting and dfs which you know maybe even before salaries come out and pricing we're looking at the just the whole lay of the land in terms of a a betting slate is the point spread the game totals and more often than not we're going to target games that have high point totals so for example in week one that Cowboys and Patriots game has a 51 and a half point total and typically anything over 50 points is is good because more projected points means potentially more fantasy points so that's obviously what we're looking at and you mentioned see uh, implied team totals you just kind of do the math there if a team has a team total of 20 and a half if you want to bet the over you need them to get 21 or more the under obviously 20 points or less a prop now, this could be a game prop, which they get really weird with game props. You can bet stuff like total field goals kicked throughout the course of a game. If it's three and a half for both teams combined, you need four field goals to happen to hit the over in that one. But even more popular, very popular, are player props. And you'll see something like Tom Brady, 274 and a half passing yards. You could take the over that number. You need him hit to hit 275 or more. Or you can take the under uh, with pass catchers. We'll see a lot of receptions, Joe Mixon, uh, rather T Higgins, three and a half receptions over under something like that, or Jamar Chase, 60 and a half receiving yards, something like that. So Mike, you kind of mentioned this to us the other day, I think when we were off air, but how do you use player props to maybe correlate or hedge some things that you do in DFS? Yeah, I think that, I mean, you can use them in any week, but when I use it the most is going to be on those showdown slates that I love so much because you have to make decisions to where you're really taking hard stances on players and unfortunately leaving some of them out. Uh, from the last show, the example I gave was leaving out Amari Cooper in the flex spot, only playing him in one or two lineups in the captain. When I do something like that, and I know that he's going to be popular by the field, but my simulation number just does not give me the edge required because he's so popular from the field. What I will immediately do is I will go look to take his player prop over, whether it's on yardage or receptions. And the thought process there is that market, the number where it is, is set. It's a very efficient market at that point, especially in the NFL, especially in a standalone game. There are sharp sides betting both sides of that number. That number on game day has settled into a point where it's relatively efficient. I can go in there, bet the over on the prop. He can still get the over on the prop because that number is still the median outcome. That is the likely, most likely outcome in the game. I can hit that over and still not get beat by him in DFS. However, if everyone else is right and I am just simply wrong with my simulation, I don't have enough exposure to him in DFS. Where that's going to hurt me is when he has a huge, massive game. If he has a huge, massive game, I've already hit the player prop, limits my downside significantly if I'm going to place that player prop bet 
So that's the way that I like to use it personally. Um, you can use it in other situations. Another example of that on a normal slate is going to be, you know, you've got Dalvin Cook in a great spot. You've got Christian McCaffrey in a great spot. And you, you think Alvin Kamara is in a great spot, but you can't get all three of them in your daily fantasy lineup. And Kamara might be the guy that is the odd man out for pricing reasons, whatever it may be. You can still take advantage of that if he's going to harm your lineup in the field by having a big day. You can get in on the player props, or if you're very confident in your decision, you can obviously take unders uh, and really capitalize on both sides. Yeah, and I think another term that we can use to kind of explain uh, what you were talking about with being underweight on a player in DFS and then maybe uh, taking some overs on that player uh, for player props is hedging. And that's a method to reduce risk and secure winnings. And we see hedging a lot in future bets as well. I remember a couple of years ago, I bet on the Rams preseason to win the Super Bowl. They were, I think they were like 10 to 1 or whatever. I put $50 on it. They made the Super Bowl against the New England Patriots. And by the time we got there, if you want to secure that you win something, then you bet on the Patriots, the other side, in order to just guarantee that you you win. I mean, if you think the Rams are going to win, you could just run with it and, and you can just let it ride. But uh, I actually did bet on the Patriots and, and it worked out because they wound up winning that game. Sia, do you ever, do you have any examples of other examples of hedging or I feel like futures is where we see it a lot. It's mostly in the betting contest and in yeah. futures, but yeah, in DFS, you can certainly do it. I mean, you want to be careful to hedge in DFS and the betting market. Cause that means, well, maybe you don't really believe in, in the call wherever, wherever you have it. But typically if, if I want to fade somebody in DFS, let's say because they're too chalky or something, I can avoid playing them in DFS, but then take their over yardage prop, for example, in the betting market. So there's, and that's why I like, there's so much crossover with, with sports betting and with daily fantasy sports, because you can kind of like from a, from a pure bankroll standpoint, you can play something, you know, in, on, on one side and play the, the complete opposite on the other side, if that's what you prefer to do. All right. DFS and betting terminology, there you go. We just covered a whole bunch of different things. Let's go back to a few players that we love for this upcoming season. And Sia, you have a bunch of them here. So maybe give us 10 to 15 seconds on each one of these players that you're excited about for this upcoming season. Yeah, so first of all, we brought up Kyler Murray. I mean, I, I think this is going to be a defense, a defensive team that's just not going to be very good. I think Kyler's going to have to use his legs and his arm, and he has all the weapons. I mean, they, they drafted Rondell Moore. They have A.J. Green. Even if you don't think those guys pan out, they also have Christian Kirk. And, oh, yeah, there's that other guy, DeAndre Hopkins. So I just think Arizona is going to be a really kind of – um, prolific passing attack, and Kyler Murray is going to do it with his legs too. Um, I'll, I'll give you a few running backs. Um, Austin Eckler, I think, especially in the DraftKings format where you have PPR, full point PPR, of course. I think Eckler is, I don't want to say he's going overlooked, but maybe a little underappreciated. And I think in DFS, he's going to be a guy that if the price is right, you're going to want to play him a lot. Uh, I've already talked about Miles Sanders on other shows. I just don't think Kenny Gainwell, Boston Scott, or who am I missing, um, are going to really cheat for, for carries relative to Miles Sanders. And that Philadelphia offensive line is going to be much better because they're going to be much healthier. Uh, let's give a couple more. I mentioned Lockett and, and Mostert already. Let me give you a few that are just kind of very under the radar. Um, Nico Collins is one. Okay, so I, I think it, with for, the, for those of you that don't know who that is, he's the rookie from Michigan. They have Brandon Cooks on the Houston Texans. He's probably going to be the primary guy. That assumes he's not going to get injured. 
We know he kind of has that unfortunate concussion issue. I think Nico Collins, who was flashed in training camp already, he's a big target for Tyrod Taylor. His price is super low. Like week one, if you looked at his price, I think it's 3,600. He's the type of guy that if if the preseason goes right for him, you can kind of sneak him into your lineup as a leveraged low cost play. And he might actually pay off for you as early as week one. I think Michael Pittman is another kind of under the radar guy that I like. Uh, Outside of that, I'll give one other name. Um, DeAndre Swift. I just think, I don't think Jamal Williams is as much of a hindrance to DeAndre Swift's overall production as as people think he is, even though they did go out and get him and paid him a decent amount amount of money. I don't think he's near the talent that DeAndre Swift is. I think DeAndre is going to catch a lot of passes, and I think he's going to break off a lot of runs, and I think he's very talented. And by the way, the Detroit Lions offensive line is much improved. Yeah, no, their offensive line is fantastic, and I wanted to point out that Anthony Lynn is their offensive coordinator, and some people might look at that as a deterrent because while he was with the Chargers, he did use multiple running backs. But think about how he used his running backs, right? We're drafting Austin Eckler this year in the first round of season-long leagues, and if DeAndre Swift has a similar role to what Austin Eckler has had the past couple of seasons, we can have a massive, massive ceiling for receptions and receiving yards this upcoming season for DeAndre Swift. Mike, any other players you love? Uh, See, I just mentioned him there, but I'm 100% in on Michael Pittman. Uh, I think that it's a really, really, really good spot for him. I love, honestly, sneaky big. Like he's he's got a lot of size. Uh, And if you look at last season, he was right up there in yards after catch. Um, Those are two really, really, really good combinations. I think completely undervalued here. I think they're still going to see enough competitive games. Obviously, we we don't know what the the quarterback situation is truly going to look like. I think that Wentz is going to be fine, but uh, yeah, I think this is a great spot for him. Honestly, I think that Hilton's obviously on the back end of his career. I think it's a really big breakout spot for Michael Pittman. Yeah, I have a few here that I want to mention as well. Daryl Henderson, he had a six-game stretch last year from weeks two to seven where he had 14-plus touches in five of those games. He averaged 4.8 yards per carry. He scored four total touchdowns during that stretch. And we know Cam Akers, unfortunately, tore his Achilles. He's going to miss this entire season. Daryl Henderson, I don't know that he's going to be a true workhorse running back, but I think he's going to see a majority of the touches and the work in a really good offense. Sean McVay's offenses have been great for running backs, basically as long as he's been there. Improved offense with Matthew Stafford, plenty of scoring opportunities, a really good defense there as well. I think it sets up very good for Daryl Henderson this season. Marvin Jones, I mentioned him a few times already uh, on this podcast. He is a bit inconsistent in his career, but he has massive weekly upside. And that's what we're looking for in DFS. He had three games with over 28 DraftKings points last season. He's not a true number one. He has some spot size. He has some speed. And I like that he's getting work with Trevor Lawrence, rookie quarterback right now, while DJ Chark is out. He's dealing with that fractured finger. Uh, Coming off back-to-back seasons with at least nine touchdowns is Marvin Jones. His offensive coordinator back in Detroit was Daryl Bevel. His current offensive coordinator is Daryl Bevel. Now with the Jacksonville Jaguars, Marvin Jones is $3,600 in week one. I will have at least one GPP lineup with a stack of Trevor Lawrence, Marvin Jones, bring it back with Brandon Cooks, maybe a Nico Collins with the Houston Texans. So uh, that's something that I'm going to be in on. And a few tight ends that I want to mention here. TJ Hawkinson, the Lions are bad. There's no doubt about that. They lost 360 targets this offseason. That is the most in the NFL. So say what you want about TJ Hawkinson. Maybe he hasn't lived up to expectations, but very high draft pedigree. 
I think there's some talent there, and Jared Goff likes to throw to the tight end. We we don't really view it that way because they were always splitting uh, receptions and targets with the Rams tight ends. But if you remember back in 2019, towards the end of the season, Tyler Higby went off, and we were excited about him heading into last season. Uh, and now that there's really just one tight end for the Lions, I think TJ Hawkinson is in for a very big year. And Kyle Pitts, I mean, it's obvious this guy is a freak. He's a wide receiver in a tight end's body. He can line up all over the field. It was uh, in college, 49% of his targets came in line, 24% in the slot, 27% out wide. And Arthur Smith likes to get creative, likes to use his tight end. So I, I think Kyle Pitts is just an absolute smash spot this upcoming season, especially in week one. I think he's only 4,400 or something like that. Let's talk about preseason. Week two, there is a lot going on. And the schedule this week, the NFL is not playing around. They want preseason football on every single day. Honestly, if they could have it that way, I think that they would. But one game today on Thursday, that's the Patriots at the Eagles. There is a showdown slate on DraftKings. There is a single game contest on FanDuel. Two games on Friday, the Chiefs at the Cardinals. And then the Bengals at Washington. Ten games on Saturday. Two of those games are during the day. Get to watch my Jets at the Packers. And then eight of those games are at night. They start between 7 and 10 p.m. Eastern time. Two more games on Sunday. The Giants at the Browns. The 49ers at the Chargers. And then finally, we have one game on Monday. Primetime, the Jaguars. Everyone gets to see Trevor Lawrence go up against some combination of Taysom Hill and Jameis Winston and the New Orleans Saints. Sia, do we know anything about week two or week three being a dress rehearsal for when the season actually starts? So it's looking like just based on, you know, a lot of the comments I've been reading over the last few days, a lot of these teams are going to use week three as the dress rehearsal. And, and it's it's one of those things where we have a shortened preseason now. So we weren't really sure, is it going to be week two or week three? I think some will be week two. I mean, I think we think you might have had in the, in the rundown there that Patrick Mahomes might play an entire half, which is a little surprising to me. But I think a lot of the teams are going to lean on week three for that. All right, let's talk about some of that news. And you mentioned, yep, Patrick Mahomes and other starters will play, quote, a half somewhere about somewhere there about that came from Andy Reid referring to Friday's preseason game against the Arizona Cardinals. According to Brad Biggs, who covers the Chicago Bears, Matt Nagy has said starters will play more on Saturday against the Bills this week and indicates that most guys will play in the third preseason game up against the Titans. There might be a select few who sit out in Nashville, but the plan for now is for most players to participate. I think that goes back to what you just said, Sia. Joe Burrow will not play in preseason week two. Washington is favored by four and a half points. Pretty big spread, even without Joe Burrow. Most of the cold starters will play this week in week two. Justin Jefferson, we mentioned earlier, is out this week with an AC joint sprain. Mike, any concern about this lasting into the season for Justin Jefferson, who was just phenomenal in his rookie season? I don't think it's a massive concern. I think there's obviously no reason to to push it. You've kind of we saw he had massive volume last year. You kind of know what you're getting. He's young enough here that uh, they don't want to lose him at all for during the games that matter. So I think that he's more than capable of literally not playing any of this and just turning it on week one. Personally, um, getting those reps in practice, I think that's fine for someone like him. Um, so I'm not worried about it. You know, he's not going to be playing really with a quarterback that's going to be, you know, throwing him the ball in the game anyway, for the most part in those situations. So 
I, I don't think it's something to really be worried about. I think that it's the smart decision, frankly. I, I don't see any reason to risk it with him. Tom Brady will not play this week. Bruce Arians said, quote, we probably won't play any starters in week two. Mike McCarthy said there is a good chance Dak Prescott will not play at all in the preseason, which means more of Garrett Gilbert in uh, week two and week three for preseason. And let's pause a little bit there because that means Dak's first live action, live game action, will be in week one against that Bucks defense. And see, as of now, you could still get the Bucks at minus six and a half on Caesar Sportsbook before it hits that round number of seven. I think Dak Prescott's really talented. He's got a ton of pass catchers. The Cowboys offense is going to be fun. But his first game action against the Bucks defense, I don't love that. Yeah, if the Bucks defense wasn't very good, I wouldn't have a huge problem with it. But I think there's going to be some trepidation on Dak Prescott's end. It's just it just has to be there. I don't know how you just step into a game off a horrific ankle injury and then now you're having problems with your shoulder, your lat, whatever it is. And then you just step you step in and you play the Super Bowl champions who happen to have a good defense. It's going to be tough. It's interesting, though, that the line hasn't adjusted to seven, because if it's staying at six and a half, I, I think what that's telling you is that they, they kind of want you to take the bucks here because you can kind of clear that six and a half point threshold with just a with just a seven point win. And so I think that's definitely a situation to monitor. I, to, to your point, though, I, as much as I'm afraid for Dak Prescott there. I think he's going to be okay to play week one. So yeah, it's it's going to be a tough week one for him, but I actually think he's going to be pretty much healthy week one to play. See, I mean, that's why I'm a fish. C is smart. He's like, this is what they want you to do. They want you to take minus seven, right? So uh, to get it at minus six and a half before it hits seven. So I'm already, I'm already falling for stuff. Week two, <laughs> we only have the showdown slate available as of now. And we're recording this on Wednesday. It's flat pricing across the board for the showdown slate. Everybody is 7,600 on DraftKings. Everybody is 12,000 on FanDuel. And again, this game is between the Patriots and the Eagles. I'm thinking we get about a whole half here from these starters. And and so I like the quarterbacks. Cam Newton is obviously something to prove. He's playing for his job going up uh, against Mac Jones there. And then Jalen Hurts on the other side. Interested to see if Devontae Smith plays in this one. He has returned to practice. Maybe they don't want to rush him back into a game too quickly. But if not, I, I think they try and get Jalen Rager involved with the starters in this one. And then some backup skill position players. They're probably going to play the entire second half. And I might even favor some of those because they're going up against backup defenses who, let's be honest, they're they're not very good. They're backups for a reason. Christian Wilkerson had six receptions on nine targets in week one for the Patriots. Andre Patton and Richard Rodgers are a few players for the Eagles that I think could get some run in the second half uh, with Philly. Do you guys have any, any leans there? Anything that I said that you want to respond to? Does it make more sense to maybe target some second half plays because they're going up against backups? What do you think, Sia? You mean in terms of the betting market or the DFS market? The DFS market for the showdown slate. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess it does. But but I think in the in the case of the Patriots, I mean, you're going to get quarter, good quarterback play for more than a half because obviously Mac Jones and Cam Newton are going to play. So I think that's something to consider from a DFS standpoint. As far as the Eagles are concerned, I mean, I think it's perfectly okay to, to lean on some of the guys, you, Frank, you leaned on last week. I mean, Quez Watkins is probably going to get 
uh, plenty of playing time. You know, I, I don't know where Travis Fulgham and Greg Ward are on the depth chart, but they're certainly on the low end of it. So um, those are maybe some guys I'm going to be looking at too. But of course, Jalen Rager as well. Yeah, I think Quez Watkins is kind of working his way into being maybe even a starter in three wide receiver sets for the Eagles, assuming that's Rager, Devontae Smith, and Quez Watkins there. Obviously, Greg Ward can play the slot, but Watkins has showed out a little bit here. Mike, any takes for uh, week two DFS showdown slate here between the Patriots and the Eagles? I, I think you're dead on there. I think that Jalen Rager is someone I would probably want to target if you're going to want to target Hurts uh, early. I think that you definitely want to pair those two together. Uh, it's probably a showdown slate in the preseason here where you're going to end up playing at least three quarterbacks. Uh, I think you want to want both of the Patriots quarterbacks and Hurts. Um, that, that's probably what the lineup would start to look like for me. It's a rare situation because, again, it's not normal season pricing. The pricing is flat. You can do things like that. Um, but I, you know, to see his point, you're going to get good quarterback play for pretty much the entire game, at least three quarters of it on the, uh, the Patriots side. So I'd probably play both of them. All righty. That'll do it for Mike and Sia. I am Frank. Thank you all for listening and watching fantasy football today. DFS will be back again on Wednesday next week with choosing the right games and preseason week two reactions. See you then.